You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So uh, many of us know Jill. Uh, you've been a number of times now and shared with us, which has been fantastic. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so tell us what you do. Why uh, You work for Oasis. I can never quite remember your job title, so remind us what it is. Um, I'm the Ethos and Formation Director. <laughs> that sounds like a position of some power and influence. Um, uh, mm, um, it means that my, my job's the values of the organisation, um, helping people to be the best that they can be. Um, the nine habits which are on your wall over there. So I, I spend a lot of time with leaders uh, in the organisation. Uh, some of you may know that Oasis is <laughs> pretty ginormous now here in the UK. Um, sometimes we get known for schools, sometimes it's churches, sometimes it's youth work, but it's all of these things. So my job is to work across everything and do some global stuff as well. So... I was just on a phone call with... Um, phone call? Who has phone calls anymore? <laughs> a Teams call on Friday with um, Oasis India, who are just about to open an academy. Wow, so. brilliant. Okay. So a figure of global influence. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> you can become very famous in a lockdown, by the way, yeah. because everyone thinks they've seen you on telly and really it's just on a little screen. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we are very grateful that you're here with us. So I saw something on Instagram the other day that uh, said that you'd been doing this, you'd been with the Oasis for 25 years. Yeah, man. So can you remember your first day with Oasis? I was 12. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, so before I joined Oasis, I was a teacher and a community and youth worker. Um, and uh, Steve Chaw castified go and work for him for no salary. So in 1997, I joined Oasis, having given up my career to come and work for Oasis for no salary, joyous. I get paid now, it's fine. Um, uh, but the first day, I remember it really clearly. Um, some of you will know Simon Thomas, um, who Sky Sports and Blue Peter, and he and I started on the same day. He started as Steve's driver, um, and I uh, started not as Steve's driver. Um, and it was the day after Princess Diana had been killed in that car, car crash. Um, and I'll never forget it because it was like, whoa, suddenly you realise that you are um, entering an organisation where things just happen like you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next hour. You know, something new will happen. And I think on that day in particular, I, I really experienced that because suddenly Steve, um, some of you are old enough to remember Steve used to be the TV vicar on, what was it called back then? GMTV. Um, and so he was being pulled into all of that stuff. And, and I remember being shown my desk that day and it was next to a toilet in the office. <laughs> And I was like, welcome to Oasis. <laughs> and I'm not, my desk, it's not so near a toilet now. But right, yeah. you could describe that as an ensuite almost. Yeah, al you? almost. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was a great, it was a sad day. 
because of everything that was happening. Some of you remember it, but it was also, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Brilliant. Great. Well, thank you for sticking it out for 25 years yeah. and for being here today. So it's always great to have Jill with us. So, yeah, let's pray for Jill as well thank and let's, uh, let's do that. Yeah, Father, we do thank you for Jill. Thank you for all those years of service in Oasis, all that she's seen, but also all that she's done, all that she's contributed to the lives of so many people uh, through that journey and all that she is doing now. We just ask for your blessing on her in that role that she has. Um, but in every aspect of life as well. Um, and uh, we just thank you that she's here with us today and we ask that uh, you'd enable her to share what's on her heart and that our hearts too would be open to hear what it is that you might be wanting to say to us today. So we thank you and uh, pray for Jill now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, my alarm went off at 10 past five this morning. Anyone? beat that no so 4 15 tomorrow yeah I had a 3 30 last week and I was like oh this is criminal but anyway I said being in Oasis was a ride um so um you're in this series here thinking about the bible um and rethinking about the Bible. And I just want to explore something with you. I got my instructions from Joe. Uh, talk about something called progressive revelation. So I'm going to talk a bit about that, but I'm just going to talk to you really about how I try and make sense of the Bible as it is. Um, here's a selection of Bibles that I pulled off the shelf. Um, there's four of them. I could have brought a few more, but I you know, didn't want to brag. Um, <laughs> there's another little one somewhere as well in my, in my bag. Um, and it's, it was, used to be really, like, which one is correct? They're all different translations. There's even a Bible called a youth Bible with a picture of Steve Chalk on the back. <laughs> like, which one is correct? We, how do we know? Like, which one is true? Because they're all different. They all say something similar, but then they're also a bit different because they're different translations. So which one's true? Because we use this language of truth a lot when we try and understand the Bible. And how do we explain the differences? How do we explain it all? Um, I was talking to Rob before the, the service and I was just saying in all my years, and you can tell I'm old, I even buy boots that match my hair colour now, so that's how old I am. Um, I was saying, you know, you, if you think about how many talks have you sat through in a church, you know, ones like this, where you're like, how long is it going to go on for? How many times have we sat through talks in church and listened to someone tell us what the Bible says? but no one has ever really said, hey, here's a way of helping you understand how the Bible even works. It's weird, isn't it? We've just, some of us, been in this system where we've been told what to think and never really engaged with how we should perhaps be thinking about this library of books, this library of books. 
And as a result, I think the Bible gets weaponized. Steve uh, Chalk was uh, telling us, that, um, I can't remember, it was maybe earlier in the year, that there's even a Bible that you can buy, I think it's in the States, where you get um, like a, a blank notebook, a nice blank notebook, and some scissors and some glue and a Bible, and basically you cut out your favourite verses and create your own Bible. Great. <laughs> and... It's weird. It's, it just sounds weird, but if you think sometimes that's how we even use it. Like, here's my favourite verse. <laughs> here's, the, here's the poster that I have with a verse on it. And here's the... Do you, do you know, it's strange, isn't it? So there's a lot for us, I think, just to get our heads around. I uh, bought some things with me um, to help you know a little bit uh, more about me. They're all a bit random here's I used to live in Derby um, and uh, this was when I was selling 46,000 pounds for a three-bedroom house that's not bad is it oh what I'd do for that now I tell you um, so it was a terraced house in the inner city of Derby and so there's something about me none of you knew that did you you'd never seen that before no that would be weird if anyone had said yes, by the way, at that point. Um, and then I've got, I've got a couple of other things here that are about me, kind of. Um, uh, I've got a thank you note. Uh, this one came from Corin. Corin is uh, one of my great nephews. He was just three. Um, he got a Henry Hoover cake for his birthday. Don't ask. <laughs> Don't ask. It's a thing. It's a thing. Um, uh, this is a card I got uh, just not so long ago uh, from my sister. My sister just got diagnosed with cancer. Um, and uh, I don't know if any of you ever use Bloom and Wild uh, flowers, but they, they were doing a, a bouquet called Muriel. My mum's name was Muriel. And so she sent me some. And um, it's a bit of a miracle that she was able to do that. So I've kept the card that came with it. This uh, was uh, my mum's disability um, badge. Uh, I lost my mum when I was 25, um, but she had this just uh, not long before she died. Oh, and this, <laughs> it's me graduating. <laughs> Look at that, mullet. I've got a mullet, yeah, at St Martin's. Progressive revelation. Do you know everything about me from that? Do you know more about me from that? Yeah. Progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is a way of, a way of us helping us to make sense of the library of books called the Bible. It's just progressive. Like we're being revealed things over time about what God is like. You don't get the full picture. You don't get the full picture all the way through. But there's something else going on that we have to understand and I'll come to that 
in a minute. There's different types of literature, aren't there, in the Bible? Does anybody know what types of literature there are in the Bible? Some of you have been around church for a long time, so I know you know the answer to this. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. History, poetry, letters, yeah. Law, songs, poems. Like, there's loads of stuff, isn't there? Accounts, historical accounts. Literature, types of literature always arise to help us uh, to meet a need of what's happening in a particular context. Types of literature, it'd be really interesting in a few years' time to look back and look at the types of literature that have arisen over this last three, four, five years, won't it? And to see what is it that people are writing about how are they writing is it stories is it is what were the historical accounts say so we need to think about how we approach the different texts um how many creation stories are there in genesis two anyone happy with two yeah says two which one's true <laughs> can you see if you if you treat the bible in a particular way this truth thing then what do you do with two stories <laughs> which are different which one is correct see the, it, we're always asking the wrong question we approach the bible not with this what's it showing us about who God is and the people of the time. But we approach it with this facts, like a scientific analysis, historical mindset, truth and proof. Truth isn't found in facts alone. If you could skip on two slides, please, that would be great. Just, uh, I'll read it out, but some of you might read faster than me. So, discovering more joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive, yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreaks without becoming broken. True? Who thinks that's true? Yeah. <laughs> like there's lots of things that are true, but that's not, that's not a scientific piece of data, is it? We know it's true. Those of us who have experienced suffering know that there's this depth of joy. You can't scientifically analyse that right down we just know it's true. Truth isn't found in fact alone. So we need to hold that as well in our heads. Perhaps the questions we should be asking, we think about those Genesis stories, is why, the gen why, did that, why were those stories being written? What do they help us understand about the God that is being revealed? But we get stuck on the truth questions, probably because of the kind of 
Christianness that we've been brought up in. So where does all that come from? Well, and you know, the Bible's everything in the Bible, there's nothing there that's wrong. It doesn't contradict itself except in the first three pages of Genesis and a whole load of other places. But do, do you see what it like? If you have this view about truth and inerrancy, where does that all come from? Because when we actually look at this collection of books, we can see things that don't add up and don't make sense and contradict each other. Is it eye for an eye or is it love your enemies? Which is it? Progressive revelations, fascinating. Where does it all come from? Well, some of you are history buffs, I know. You'll know about the Reformation. And of course... Before all that, the church was the authority on everything. The church told you what to think. The church was the statement of truth, etc., etc., etc. And with the Reformation and the invention of the printing press, interestingly, text, the biblical text, started to take authority. Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther King, that would be bizarre if he'd been alive then. <laughs> Martin Luther started to use, use the text to critique the church. And the printing press, instead of it being those who had wealth, had these scrolls with this beautiful text written on, suddenly with the printing press, more and more people could access text. So... What else was going on? Think about uh, 20th century America, the start of 20th century America. And, and at that time, the rise of um, thinking like Darwin and um, all the scientific thought that was going on. And in America, there was this... <gasps> How do we explain this? God was the answer to every question and now questions are being asked and atheism seemed like it was knocking at the door. And also there was this like broader base of thinking and theology that was appearing. And some people were like, no. And so something called the fundamentals were spoken of and introduced. Five things. First one, biblical inerrancy. The Bible is the word of God. Even though in John, we're just about to have Christmas, aren't we, and that bit gets read, the word was made flesh <laughs> and lived amongst us fundamentals one of them was biblical inerrancy jesus divine the virgin birth resurrection and the return of christ and that way of thinking about biblical inerrancy is only it's only like a hundred years old but it started to seep out and affect everything and it affects our thinking it affects the kind of way that we've been brought up as well in church if that's been our story 
So if we think about the Genesis stories or you think of all those violent, you know, somebody puts a tent peg through someone's head, which is in the Bible, and, you know, all the... All the I mean, it's grim, isn't it? It's a horror movie. Game of Thrones has got nothing on the, particularly the Old Testament. And then you've got that verse in Timothy which says, oh, scripture is God-breathed and good for, and you're like, oh my word, what do we do with all this stuff? Progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. If you could go on to the next slide, please. As, uh, as next slide, no, that one, that's exactly the right slide, sorry. As we study the Bible, I think what we need to uh, understand is that what we're observing is people's understanding of God changing, expanding, and developing. Yeah? Not they get it right from the off and therefore this is what God is like. God is tribal, God is a bully, God smites whole nations, God this, God that. What we need to understand is who the people were who were describing what that God is like and realise that they are slowly, gradually learning oh God is like this and then there's an inch forward and they realize oh no God is like this and there's another inch forward progressive revelation and you can see it play out um on the screen it's really bad colors up there can you see that behind me okay um so for me this is what I try and do when I'm thinking about texts when I'm, th- when I'm grappling with uh, a passage in the Bible or something, I try and think of these six elements. Uh, Wesley introduced some, something like this. He had four elements, but I've just kind of like, what, what is it I do when I'm thinking about difficult texts and all the rest of it? Tradition. There's so much in uh, the story of our, our, our journey of faith. Scripture, what, what is the text actually saying? What are the words that are being used? What does my experience tell me about this thing? What does reason say? Don't, don't switch off reason. What's the context of the time? What, as we discuss this in community, how do we make sense of it? There's a rabbi who uh, said this, and I think it might be on the next slide. The Bible is a bottomless well of meaning and inspiration. The Bible is a bottomless well of meaning and inspiration. And what basically within the Jewish tradition, text was something that you discuss, still is. Like, of course it's a well. Of course it's something you keep diving back into. Of course you might understand it this way today, but next week as you, as you think, as you reflect, as you talk with your community, as you consider the context, as you, as you go around that circle, suddenly you'll go, oh, but what if it's this? And what if it's... And that's just how it's understood 
within a Jewish tradition. But in our tradition of this has to be, like, if this is our tradition, of, you know, biblical inerrancy and everything has to be bang on right, and of course there's no faults in it. Like, you're always like, what's the one way of understanding? But it's a bottomless well. So go back to the creation story. What's the creation story telling us? What do you think it's telling us? That, you know, the, the, on the first, you know, the first day and the second day. What do you think it's telling us about life? Process. It's a process? Nice. God's in every detail. Anything else? It's a good start. You've probably never... What are you asking me? It's about creation. That's what, like, you know, it's a difficult question for me to just throw out at you. That story arose in contrast to other creation stories. There's a genre of story called creation stories. There's the Enuma Elish, which is the Babylonian Story, you can imagine the people of God held captive. Remember, they were in Babylon and they're surrounded by just the worst things going on and they're enslaved and they're not where they want to be. And they sit down and they're like, do you remember? And they start telling one another their stories. And then there was this, and then there was this, and it was good, and it was good, and it's like this hymn, it's like this poem, and then they get to the end, and it's all about God's, let's create us, let's create people in our image, and they said, it's very good. And it matters because when you understand the Babylonian creation story, which is about a deity called Marduk and an Assyrian deity called Tiamat, who basically had a crocodile head. Basically, the gods raged, the gods fought, the gods were violent. Marduk killed Tiamat by pulling the head of the, like, you know, they've got, like, snappers, haven't they? Like, pulling that apart. I'm sorry, it's a bit bloodthirsty for a Sunday, but earth, sky, blood, that's how we were made. You feel the violence? Can you feel the violence? But you go back to the Genesis story, In the image of God, let us create them. The only person who was the image bearer of the gods was the king. And so this story suddenly says, actually, everybody is an image bearer. What's this story telling us about God? Can you see, like, it's so revolutionary, it's so different to everything else that was happening. 
It's like, oh, there's equality. There's all of this. Women and men created equally. It is very good. Progressive revelation is how we can observe people's understanding of what God is like and see that it changes and develops. This library of books was never meant to enable us to be in some kind of supremacy. Well, I've got a better verse than you for that. You know, do you remember like some of you grew up in church youth clubs and things like that? It was like almost like war with Bible verses. Mm, Mine's longer and I remembered it. And I get three stickers today for that. The Bible, this library of books, is here to help us find ourselves in this unfolding story. You've got Adam and Eve, this telling of a a kind of hunter-gatherer creation relationship with the earth. You've got Abraham and the patriarchs, and you see this dynamic where they understand God in a particular way, so much so that someone's even willing to sacrifice their son. And then you get the law and you're like, oh, it's so many rules. But when you understand that those rules were different to the rules of the other cultures and communities that were around and you understand, oh, the, the law was about be different, be different, set yourself apart, be different, be holy as I am holy. And then, of course, you get that, you know, Go and, go and kill. <laughs> if, if someone hurts you, then kill them. If someone beats your slave, you make sure you... If, if your wife um, walks out on you, then go and stone her, whatever the rules were. I haven't got those down on Pat. But Oh, by the way, what's the biblical view of marriage? See, <laughs> like... Because if we took... If we, look, if we said, well, if we take this bit of the Bible, then it's this. But if it's this bit of the Bible, it's this. But if it's this bit of that, can you see, like, it doesn't make sense to cherry pick. Anyway, back to the go and kill. And then it's an eye for an eye. It's like just an eye for an eye. And then, of course, Jesus. Then we get to Jesus where Jesus, instead of retribution, introduces this full revelation of who God is. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye. And everyone was said, oh yeah, no, that's like we know about that because that's what was in the law and we've all learned that that's the law and so that's how we've planned our lives and then Jesus announces you have heard it said an eye for an eye but I say resist an evil person progressive revelation we have gone from violence right at the beginning of uh, the in the Genesis story Cain and Abel and all the violence that then gets perpetrated all the way through. And then we get to Jesus. Resist an evil person. If they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. It wasn't about just reduce yourself to nothing. It was like 
turn the other one. You are of equal value to them. Do not belittle yourself. Turn the other cheek. Give them your coat. Which was basically like saying, you may need to get down to your underwear, but give them them your coat. Can you imagine the humiliation for the person that has asked? It was abhorrent to to put someone else in poverty, in, in humiliation in that way. And Jesus says, if someone asks, give them your coat. And then go the extra mile. Why, why, why that? Because there was a, a law that Romans um, could ask you to go a mile. And then Jesus says, go the extra mile. And if, uh, if you did that, the Roman soldier got into trouble because he'd broken the rule. Resist an evil person. It's all in Matthew chapter 5. Adam and Eve, Abraham, law, prophets, talked about justice and all the things. And then we get to Jesus and we discover that love is everything. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we get that clear statement. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the lens. And we see constantly Jesus doing this rabbinic way of teaching You've heard it said, but I say to you, you think God is like this because you have been part of this system of belief, but I say to you, it's love. The spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free and to declare the year of the Lord's favour. And what does he say straight afterwards? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. Jesus is the lens. Jesus is the lens. So when we sink ourselves, and I would encourage us to invite ourselves into that Jewish way of thinking about text, of discussion, of debate, of conversation, when you have your meal later, talk to one another about it. Do it all through the lens of if it doesn't look or feel like Jesus, this conclusion we're coming to, then it isn't God. If it doesn't look and feel like the Jesus who said, forgive, pray for your enemies. If it doesn't look like love God and love yourself and love God, your neighbour, then it isn't God. So when the person who came to me in the church that I used to go to in Derby when my mum was dying of cancer and said, the reason your mum's dying is because she's got unforgiving sin in her life, that isn't God. (laughs) 
I know it's not God because it doesn't sound or feel or look like love. It looks like an interpretation of a text that is back here, not the lens of Christ. Father, Gre- I'm finish on this. Father Gregory Boyle says this: Just assume that the answer to every question is compassion. Just assume that the answer to every question is compassion. Should I do this? Well, is it compassionate? Should I say this? Is it compassionate? Should I help with this? Is it compassionate? (laughs) Everything we do, we get so wrapped up in, is it truth? Is it fact? Is it which is the correct version? But ultimately, it all comes down to, if it doesn't look or feel like Jesus, then it isn't God. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the journey of people. I thank you that as we navigate some quite what seem ridiculous uh, parts of this library of books called the Bible, um, stuff that just seems so weird, um, difficult to get our heads around. God, would you help us to be wise? to lean in on one another, to lean in particularly on what we know of your son, the life, the message, the example of Jesus. To love God and love others as we love ourselves. God, as we inhabit and learn and um, uh, wrestle with passages of this a library of books we call the uh, Bible. God, help us to hold that lens of Jesus really tightly. And thank you uh, that it's okay to not have every answer sewn up. Thank you that we don't need to be trapped by thinking that we've had before. Set us free, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.